All right, welcome to another podcast of White Collar Crimes. I'm Ryan Horn, the host. So glad to have you back, as always. Well, for once, weather's not too bad. It seems like uh, every time I record, there's storms and flooding and everything like that in the area. A fairly nice, pleasant day where I'm at today. A little cool and windy, and as I record this, the next couple nights, they're expecting some frost in my area, which is a little rare for late April, but I am glad it's at least not storming and flooding for a change, although it did do that a couple days ago, and it's been pretty common where I'm at, and I don't know, I'm just getting a little tired of rain and floods, but that's a whole other subject. Hope you're doing well. We've talked a lot about Ponzi schemes being the most common form of any type of white-collar crime, one of the most common, and it's no different on this episode. It's the episode of one, though, at a pretty high level, which reached a billion-dollar level. And this was done by a man by the name of Scott Rothstein. And his story, I believe, is also featured on American Greed. But Mr. Rothstein was born in the Bronx, New York, to a Jewish family. And he would earn his law degree from Nova Southeastern, I'm sorry, Nova Southeastern University Law School. And he had a relatively quiet first 15 years of his law practice or so but then he joined a prominent Hollywood Florida firm keep in mind Hollywood Florida not Hollywood California although if I do recall correctly I never visited Hollywood Florida in that year that my wife and I lived in Florida but my understanding they actually do shoot some films in that town as well so I mean it's not at the level of obviously Hollywood California but it is something uh of a locale for that kind of thing this day and age and he joined a pretty prominent law firm there and this firm grew and added several more lawyers in addition to him and this firm operated in new york florida and even venezuela which i'm very strange combination i can see the new york and florida because again we lived in florida for a year and there's a lot of new yorkers and a lot of folks from the northeast that have retired and live down there permanently or they are what they call the snowbirds the people that migrate back and forth there they don't like the cold harsh winters in the northeast these elderly mostly elderly and retired folks that spend their winters down in florida but that was the combination uh, that this firm operated in which again the new york and florida thing but the venezuela thing that's a little strange for a third league locale But this firm specialized in such matters as labor law, civil rights, personal injury, wrongful death, and a host of others, a lot of the big money-making areas of civil law. But in 2009, the FBI and the Treasury Department became a little suspicious of the firm's activities. And a lot of this was sparked from an email that Rothstein, Mr. Rothstein, had sent that got their attention. And it asked the firm's lawyers to research countries that refuse to extradite suspects to the U.S. or Israel. So, yeah, that's a little suspicious. You'd kind of want to know what maybe they're planning, what they have that they want to know that, that they themselves are doing or maybe representing clients that may need this information. But certainly triggered a little bit of suspicion with the FBI and uh, the Treasury Department, both federal agencies. One lawyer noted that Morocco was such a place. So, Rothstein then wired $16 billion to Casablanca. $16 billion with a B, folks. 
And on November 2nd, 2009, the firm missed, I'm sorry, on November 2nd, 2009, the firm filed suit against him, alleging a misappropriation of hundreds of millions of dollars from investor trust accounts into a Ponzi account that he ran from his own office at this firm. And again, we've explained it several times, but I know we have are thankfully getting a lot of new listeners. And if you don't know what a Ponzi scheme is, definitely go back and listen to an early episode in this podcast. I believe it's back in the fall of 2021, where we did one on Charles Ponzi, the man who is named obviously after the scam and the one that developed it to an art. But a Ponzi scheme, you just promise outrageous results, really false results. You get lots of money in from investors and as long as you continue to get new investors in you can keep your scam going you can and use that money for whatever you want and as long as you got new ones coming in you can keep it going the problem always happens when people start wanting their money or they get suspicious and when you don't have any as many new people or no new people coming in you run out of money to keep the scam going and it collapses happens all the time sometimes it happens on small levels we've talked of on some on this podcast that are just in the millions you know sometimes several million dollars or just a few million dollars or in this case and in the case the most famous one of all time we've discussed on here several times bernie madoff that was one of the other early podcasts of this this podcast but that was several billion dollars possibly 60 billion or more and when again when the money runs out and when people are no longer investing and people want their money and they want you to pony up and you don't have it then your scam collapses as long as you have new people coming in you can pay off some of the old ones and keep it going and they don't know but once that number runs out people are going to get a little suspicious and again that's when people are going to start uh, wanting their money back and when you don't have it the you know the scam is up and you're busted and you're caught and that's when most of these do indeed get caught so at this time, once this investigation gets going, the Florida Bar Association did move to disbar Scott Rothstein. Now, investig- investigators discovered that he was purchasing fabricated, quote, structured settlements from folks, and he would get this when folks would sell their large settlements for lump sum payments. However, many of these settlements had been mislabeled as such, allowing Rothstein to funnel the money into his Ponzi scheme. And once he knew this, he has no doubt, probably just like all these Ponzi schemes, eventually it's going to collapse and he is going to get caught. But at this point, he still got the scam going, but that's why he wants to know what countries he can possibly go to because he knows once he gets caught, he wants to be somewhere where the U.S. cannot extradite him back. And they found out, you know, Morocco is a place. And there's other countries. Now, this would not be a death penalty case, but there are a lot of countries in Europe that will not extradite to the United States if it's if the possibility of a death sentence could be carried out. They will not do it, and a lot of times they have to have it assured that the, the suspect won't face the death penalty before they extradite them back to the U.S. But this obviously being a financial crime, the death penalty was not on the table. But nonetheless, he certainly wanted to know where he could go to avoid being extradited back to the U.S. to face charges for his crimes. Now, these accounts did not meet IRS codes of a structured settlement. Now, I'm, you know, I'm not J.G. Wentworth. I uh, don't know a lot about structured settlements, but they're just like anything else financial. There are codes and things that have to be followed. 
and supposedly the way he had these set up, they did not meet these codes, which is not a, a shock. It's a no-brainer. He wouldn't have them up to code because then it would be easier to get caught because, as we see, he never had any intention to pay out these structured settlements to anyone as he was funneling this money into his Ponzi scheme, his own personal private Ponzi scheme. Again, right from his law firm's law office, which, as we said just a second ago, that led to the Florida Bar Association disbarring him at the time. But again, like we always point out, too, on this podcast, even if he got disbarred and barred from it by the SEC from any type of trading or any financially handlings, he can still work behind the scenes as a quote-unquote consultant and still be calling all the shots. Happens, unfortunately, all the time. And it was no, be no different in this case, but or I mean in a lot of cases. So the accounts didn't meet the IRS standards, and fellow attorney Allen, I believe I'm pronouncing this right, Sakowitz or Sakowitz, became leery of Rothstein, and he reported him to the FBI. So somebody at the law firm knows something's not right, so he does at least report him to the FBI. Now, the FBI estimated that Rothstein scammed his clients out of about $1.2 billion, which was one of the largest Ponzi schemes of the time. Uh, as we would see a little bit a few years later, just a few years later, Bernie Madoff kind of like, okay, hold my beer, I can do a little better than that, and he did, scamming people out of several billion, possibly $60 billion or, or more, but $1.2 billion is nothing to sneeze at. I can remember when I was a kid, my fifth grade teacher told us how much a billion was, that if you discounted a dollar a second nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I can't remember how many years it was that we were told it would take, but as a kid and even now as an adult, I'm like, wow, that's really something. Most of us are never going to get anywhere near seeing that kind of money, so that's a lot of money. Yeah, it might pale in comparison to... Madoff's $60 billion scam, but this is certainly not small potatoes. $1.2 billion, that's a lot of money to have ripped off from a lot of people and funneled into his own personal little uh, war chest to have some fun and flee the country. That's, uh, That's nothing to sneeze at. That was, as I said, at that time, we're talking about 2009 here. This is the largest Ponzi scheme we had seen in the country at the time. Now, we've had some top that. Uh, again, Madoff and probably a few others, but not many. This is still to this day one of the top ones the country's ever seen. And there's a lot of them because, as I've said over and over, this is one of the most common types of white-collar crime out there, uh, especially on the high-level end of white-collar crime. Now, some clients filed a civil suit seeking over $100 million in damage, still less than a tenth of what he's stolen. But as I've said on this podcast over and over again, sometimes civil court and civil suits, those are the only recourse a lot of people actually have to try and even remotely get any kind of justice, get their money back, get some restitution, or at least get a judgment and get these folks, uh, you know, in court and drug through the mud a little. Sometimes that's all some of them end up with. And a lot of times, even when they do, get ordered by the courts to pay out and they're sentenced to pay something out they don't pay back near what they ripped off or in the case of as we've talked about on jordan belford unless that's changed or been updated the wolf of wall street's not paid back a microscopic fraction of the restitution he was owed in his case and very few of these do 
return these or, or pay them back. We've probably had a few, I think a couple we've talked about on here that maybe made it right, but not too many of them. And uh, this is how some of these folks tried to at least get back some of the money that had been ripped off to them by Scott Rothstein. But it did go farther than just a civil case, thankfully. There were criminal charges filed against Scott Rothstein, and these included racketeering, fraud, and conspiracy. Now, in addition to the Ponzi scheme, he was involved in a litany of other white-collar crimes, which kind of sounds a little bit like the case we covered, the Alex Murdoch case this summer, although it was a murder case. As we know now, he's got trial coming up for a vast amount of white-collar crimes, which we're going to be covering those as well. He was sentenced into double murder and sentenced to life, but it's kind of gotten forgotten. He still will be standing trial unless there's some type of deal, which, again, it's kind of anticlimactic at this point, but he is still set to stand trial for a vast amount, if I remember, probably 100 counts or more of various types of white-collar crimes and financial crimes. So in addition to this Ponzi scheme, he was supposedly involved in some other white-collar crimes, and this was brought to the table. So in order to face even more time, on January 27, 2010, he pled guilty to multiple counts of various federal financial crimes. And on June 9, 2010, he was sentenced to up to 50 years in federal prison, so not likely to get out, and again, that's kind of a little rare in this case most of them do get out to see at least some uh, light of day again at some point but uh, that's not likely to happen with Mr. Rothstein when you get 50 years that's uh, that's a long time especially when you're into an adult even if you're in your 30s when you get that you're going to be in your 80s when you get out or near it maybe depending on how much uh, of the sentence you actually serve and but uh, and most people don't live 50 years in prison some we have a handful of them, but the, most of the majority of people are not going to live that long in prison. It's Prison's just not a place built for somebody to live a long, healthy, happy, luxurious life. But he thankfully did not escape to Morocco or anywhere that he had researched, and thankfully he was brought to justice, but he very well could have. And we have covered several of them, actually, in the last few pos- podcasts uh, in the last month or two. We've had some where we've talked about that fled the country and thankfully were caught and brought back to justice but uh again mr sakowitz or sakowitz thankfully for him for tipping off the fbi and getting them involved because who knows if he hadn't if he probably could have fled the country and gotten away with again bilking clients out of uh 1.2 billion dollars or more and that's and could have been a lot more because he certainly again wiring about 16 billion dollars to morocco that's that's no uh that's no small cash so uh one of the big-time players that we've had in the world of white-collar crime. But like we've talked about on here, too, we always like to take a look at, well, what could he possibly get out and reoffend again? Not likely on this case. Again, 50 years, he will most likely die in prison. So thankfully, he will not be able to bilk any clients. But I would dare say, and it's not really stated a lot in this case, but since it was in Florida, I would dare say, like also so many times we've covered on this podcast, especially cases in Florida, the majority of the people that he bilked and ripped off were probably elderly well-to-do people that had worked their whole lives and saved up and saved for retirement and tried to 
do right and have a comfortable little nest egg in their last years and it's vanished and gone and stolen and, and sometimes never gotten back uh, with him in prison the rest of his life. Not sure if he'll pay out anything or if anything will be returned, any type of restitution. Maybe some of these folks that filed the $100 million lawsuit will get a little bit back, but again, that's very fraction, a very small fraction compared to what he actually stole and ripped off and got away with. And I'm sure, like all these other white-collar criminals, he lived very high on the hog and enjoyed this money while he did have it. I guess he didn't value his freedom too much if it sent him away for the rest of his life, but I'm sure he did live quite well during this time that he was ripping off this money from folks. And again, I would bet a dollar to a hole in a donut that uh, that most of these were elderly and retired folks that had this money ripped off from them, and probably the majority of them not even what would be classified as wealthy, probably middle class or maybe upper middle class, but not wealthy, at least maybe not all of them. So. It's not like he, uh, you know, sometimes these folks like to try to play, play themselves as some type of Robin Hood or something, but I don't think that's anywhere near the case with this guy. Just ripped off a lot of money from, again, most likely hardworking, decent, and retired folks. But uh, thankfully, we'll not have a chance to do it again. But we will have a chance to do this podcast again. This is the final episode, though, of Season 3. We are going to take a break. We will not be back next week. We will be back in May 9th to kick off a new season. As I said, uh, had some issues getting the guest and myself together, but we are going to have one talking about greed and white-collar crime as a kind of like a deadly sin. Look at it from more of a moral or theological point of view. And I always say, if you want to be on this podcast, you can be. And we have had guests that listen to this, and I have had them on here, and we're glad to have them aboard. And if you are, just contact me at uh, ryanhornvt at gmail.com, or you can give me an idea for a show. We've had that happen, and we're very thankful for folks that have done that, and you can do that. If you need voiceover work, check out my website, ryan-horn.com. As I said, got a couple audio books getting ready to come out keep you posted on those please check those out and please check out your local pet shelter adopt your next best friend we've done it five times and our five little buddies that we have here are the best friends we've ever had and they have enriched our life more than we could ever imagine or account for and we're certainly happy for that and uh, please like our facebook page share the stories about uh, and follow it also for updates about the podcast and uh, please like us on Spotify or Apple. Give us the five-star review. Help us climb in the ratings. We are growing, getting more listeners, and I'm very, very thankful for that. And you have made that happen, and we want to keep this podcast going because this is one of the few on this subject, one of the very few on white-collar crime and crimes that are committed by the elites and financial crimes and the rip-off and the damage that's done, which is sometimes even worse than people that are victimized by street crime. But again... These types of crimes do not get a fraction of the publicity of uh, the street crimes do. And I promise you, the average street criminal hoolum probably has not damaged anyone's life to the tune of $1.2 billion or honestly anywhere even near that. So we need to keep this going to keep these stories out there, keep people informed. And as I always say, too, this is an example you saw here. Most likely, again, the majority ripped off were probably older people. So keep an eye out on that but as we talked about last week in the comic book ads of yesteryear there's a lot of people that are out there trying to scam kids too i think when you're talking white collar crime it's mostly the elderly that get targeted but we need to watch out for our friends and family of all ages because they are being targeted by these crooks and we have to be careful 
what's out there and keep an eye on it because there are certainly people that are willing to rip us off any chance we get. But uh, we thank you for making it possible to continue to get this out here, and we will continue to do it. Take a week off next week. Enjoy it, but we're glad to be back for a fourth season. So I'm blessed to continue to put this out there every week, and we're glad that you're a part of it. We hope you will continue to join us, and we hope you have a very nice couple weeks ahead, and we'll see you when we get back in two weeks for season four. Thank you for a successful season. God bless and take care, everybody.